This is Chad Kent from Adam Ship on Discography Discussion. Discography Discussion and DiscussMetal.com present our interview with Chad Kent of Adam Ship. Recorded on September 3rd, 2017. Anything? That sounds like it might be better. It is way better. Chaos AD. That's awesome. Sweet. Oh my God. Finally. So how are you, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good. Um, I'm Dan. I'm the email guy. And this is Joe. What's up, Dan? I'm Joe. What's up, Joe? Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. My wife was kind enough to let me come down and do this tonight. So oh, she rules. Yeah, yeah. We have the exact same kind of light in uh, my church that I play at. It's over there to your left. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> nice. So what's up? Not too much, man. We uh, we're talking to Chad Kent from Adam Ship because hell yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we made no bones. Did you listen to the episode that we did? I have heard bits and pieces of it. I gotcha. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't on that episode. Strangely enough, well, actually, I was. It's funny. Uh, I was out of town during whenever they recorded that, and I was so pissed off when they did the episode that I ended up calling in. I think ten minutes later and giving Ooh. giving my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, what's been going on for like the past thirteen years? Because you have been hard as hell to find. <laughs> Well, what's happened was um, some political things happened, making the second record, and uh, I made the choice to step away from it. It just was not fulfilling, and um, Nathan was let go of the band before I was um, uh, came to that decision to go, and it just wasn't the same once he was gone. And uh, so then after that, um, you know, life happens. Um, I was in another band called Castle Bravo, and uh, we were writing some pretty progressive, pretty cool music. And then uh, one of the members, one of the main members, um, owned a logging company, and he had to start going on the road a lot. So that kind of fizzled out. And, um, you know, and then just more life. And then uh, just recently, um, we all decided, well, actually, last summer, um, the three of us had talked about bringing Adam shit back and it just never materialized work schedules um, where the singer was living um, it just didn't work out and then um, finally this spring um, Joey and Roy and myself uh, and we had finally decided that you know we've been too long to not at least honor the memory of Nathan you know so um, his brother you know Jared Slade, uh, he stepped up to the plate and learned the songs, and um, he even found Nathan's old equipment and his MIDI board so we could match the sounds, um, and we did it. So we just, you know, put our noses to the grindstone and brought all the material back and polished it all off. And we did a show in Jackson. Um, then we did one locally, July 22nd, um, to a crowd of over 400, and. Um, we didn't really advertise or anything. It was just, you know, word of mouth and the following we have on the coast. And, you know, a bunch of our fans showed up. We had people from out of state showing up and it was really cool. So, well, if I had known about it, I would have been there. Oh, yeah. We would have made the drive for sure. Despite the seven or eight hour drive, it would have been a (laughs) zero, zero questions asked. Uh, Adam Ship is returning. Uh, Time to get in the car, Joe. Uh, I admit I forgot pretty much every question I possibly wanted to ask you, so I'm just going to shoot from the hip a little bit and say sure. uh, I'm going to get the fanboy question right out of the way so that my brother will stab me in the back. Uh, how does it feel to be the greatest drummer in the fucking world? Uh, Seriously. Yeah, I, I, wish that was, <laughs> I wish that was the case, man. Uh, I appreciate it, though. But um, All right, now that I got that one out of the way... Um, <laughs> What is the deal with the slanted kit, man? Because you play that you play that kit that's slanted back towards you, and I've never understood why. Okay, well, um, you know, I've always looked for ways to, you know, make uh, drumming a little more efficient. And uh, before I got that frame, a uh, drummer that I became interested in, uh, his name is Akira Jimbo, 
And I noticed that with his kit, he had shoved everything in as tight as you possibly could with a standard kit that sits on the floor. And so I mimicked his setup and lo and behold, I was like, wow, this is actually a lot more efficient to play, especially the fast stuff. Um, so you don't get tired as quickly. And ergonomically, it's actually way more correct. It's easier on your body. Um, you're not reaching as far. You know, so the timing of the events, you're not having to go as far, use as much muscle. I mean, it just makes sense. And then um, I saw a local buddy of mine down here had the drum frame. And at the time, it was um, made by Bob Gatz and the inventor. And they were really hard to find, really rare, really expensive. But um, I was very intrigued by this thing. And, you know, my buddy, um, he's uh, kind of into science and stuff, too. And um, so he was explaining the science behind it. And he let me sit down and play on it. And I was really, it feels really strange just by tipping everything back 15 degrees. But at the same time, I could already tell that, I mean, this was like an unbelievable invention. It was even more efficient than anything you could set up with a flat drum set. So uh, before our first tour, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to give it a shake. So I guess uh, maybe foolishly, about two weeks <laughs> before the first tour, uh, I went and I bought it from him and he gave me quite a steep discount on it. He just said it was too much headache to lug around and he felt that I could use it, you know, a little bit more efficiently than he could. Well, um, I think I practiced on it maybe two times and I used to do these drum solo shows with Upstairs Downstairs in Biloxi and it was just me and a buddy of mine, um, Dave Devaney, which ultimately went out on one of the tours with us um, as a uh, guitar tech. Um, but he would get up there with the bass guitar and um, I would like solo for about five minutes focusing on a particular uh, ostinato or something and then um, he would come in with a groove and then I would slice it up like you know ten different ways and then he would step back out and then I would solo some more do something else um, uh, so yeah we did that that one show and then I took it out on tour and then of course you know it's my first national tour at the time we're out with evanescence which at that time was the biggest rock name in the land at the time you know they just released their debut album and um uh the first show i felt so out of place i fought the whole idea of the frame i was lean forward the whole time i wouldn't sit back i didn't relax uh, i think i threw like three sticks that night and i mean i just could not wait to get off the stage i felt so out of place on it and i was like man this was a total mistake i shouldn't have bought this thing it's too weird um because it is, it's it's quite the change in how you feel. All the weight's off your feet, you're free to balance on it, and everything is in, in even closer to you, the cymbals especially in closer. And uh, I played the next show the next night, and I was very uncomfortable again. I even called my manager and I was like, man, I can't do this. We gotta get me set up for a flat drum kit. And he's like, dude, this is a shorter tour. You know, if you can just tough it out and then we'll set you back up with your regular kit. Cause I'd already sold all the bases to my cymbal stands and stuff. I was like, I don't need those, you know? But then um, I think it was our fourth show. We played um, the Reno Hilton. And it was the second largest room in the United States that's indoors. And there's like 10,000 people in there. And they didn't know who we were, but this crowd was so ready to be entertained before we actually went out there. As the show, Nathan and I walked out on the stage with our eight millimeter cameras. And as soon as the crowd saw us, I mean, they just exploded. You know, we're talking about 10,000 people inside, you know, not like an outdoor festival. And you could just feel the energy off it. And then when we played, uh, we always opened with Mothra. And, um, we got to the bridge section where Nathan just comes in with the guitar and then I lead in with the, the hi-hats. And the crowd got so incredibly loud, they overpowered the stage monitor system so we couldn't even hear ourselves. You know, we didn't use any ears. But I still remember, and I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. Um, there was so much energy, all of that weirdness from the drum frame, being uncomfortable, overthinking it, it all just went away, it vanished in that second. And from that point on, I loved that drum frame. We rocked the show. I broke a crash cymbal that night. I was so into it. And uh, I've never looked back since. Um, it is the most efficient way of playing a drum set. And I think it's probably the, the coolest invention for a drum set, except for maybe like the double bass pedal, you know, because then you get rid of that bass drum, the extra bass drum. But yeah, the frame is awesome. I'd never play without it. A funny story about Mothra. This guy, uh, for years, back in the mid to late 2000s, when message boards were still really big, because that mm -hmm. was, of course, prior to Twitter and all that, uh, anytime anybody would say, this guy is the 
fastest double bass player or this is this black metal band has the fastest double bass he would just send them just a clip of mothra and say so this is a rock band and uh he's faster than your drummer Oh, no, no. Oh, actually, if at actual beats per minute, um, the very end of Alien is the fastest stuff on the album. I agree. That's actually my favorite track off of the record. And, All right, Dan, talk about Aliens. Uh, well, not not necessarily Aliens itself, but, um, Get on that but what I like is that, uh, <laughs> you know, so like I'm predominantly a metal guy. Like our, um, you know, obviously our website is Discuss Metal and um, there was a little bit of controversy, I think, whenever we did an Adam Ship episode. People were like, "Well, it's not true metal," because like we listen to a lot of like, you know, like underground thrash and death metal and oh, know, sure. just, just that yeah. really extreme stuff. And um, but there, I guess what it attracted me to Adam Ship really, you know, and again, we're not we're not saying any of this just to suck up or to be or to be weird or, or anything like that. But like what attracted me to Adam ship as a metal fan was the drumming. And that was, uh, that was such a big deal to me because I remember just thinking like, um, you know, and not to, not to insult the other members of the band because, um, we're totally down for that. No, I have nothing, but no, but I have no, nothing we're down to, for the interview. I don't mean, we're I have nothing to, to <laughs> I have nothing negative to say about, about, uh, about Nathan's, uh, guitar playing because that, that was also a really big attractor too. But um, the drumming was. I used to. I used to always tell people that like, this is kind of like when you're playing when you're playing a style of music that doesn't require over the top, in over the top production or uh, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I've been talking about Sepultura all night, so it doesn't it doesn't uh, require an, an over the top percussive section. But like, damn, does it not make a difference when it is there? And mm-hmm. um, and that that was my biggest attraction, I think, to Adam Ship was that like, sure, you like you lead in with a song like Day of Days, and people are like, okay, I dig this, I'm into it. It was really, it was really kind of like in the pocket for what was uh, out at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was musically relevant, you know, at the time. But then like to hear something like Mothra right after that, and 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 even stuff like Aliens, um, and Agent Orange, and uh, songs like that. It really solidified for me that like okay it's not that i don't like good rock bands it's just that there aren't a lot of good rock bands <laughs> you know <laughs> at that time and uh and so like for me um that was always huge because i remember um when i would listen to a newer like heavy band uh at that time i used to always really be like well is it heavier than adam ship <laughs> because that was kind of my that was kind of my you know because if they can if they can do it but still have a um, a sellable sound right you know um, what what chance do these more extreme bands have you know and that that's that's where Joe gets that whole me posting on forums and <laughs> and, and giving and giving quotes because it was really um, it was really out of this world I mean especially if you compared uh, the crash of 47 to um, some of the other records that were out at that time on that label um mm-hmm. you had you had kind of this generic i'm not saying that the songs weren't good from some of the other bands but they were a little bit more formulaic whereas yeah. you'd have you know i'd say adam ship had a few formulaic songs and those were obviously the singles yes. you know but um but some of the deep cuts on those records i mean aliens just uh that that song just kicks my ass you know <laughs> and uh well actually that's um there's when we first went to dave fortman um to cut our first demo um that was actually like a fork in the road for the band and when adam ship formed we had all previously been in bands where we were trying to get noticed by record labels so we were writing you know i guess you'd say catchier simpler songs and it just never panned out so when we all came together we all had the same idea that you know what let's write for ourselves and let's write for the musicians out there forget the radio crowd you know forget those who just want the standard 4-4 and easy to digest Um, let's make some really interesting uh emotional music so when we went to dave foreman you know the label 
you know, I kind of spoke with him a little bit and he said, okay, so the label's asking, you know, if we can, uh, you know, possibly like simplify these songs a little bit. And all three of us looked at each other and here he is with his, you know, gold records and platinum records in the back of the studio. And we just said, you know, we can appreciate where that's coming from, you know, and maybe we can, you know, bend a little bit, but we put a lot of hard work into making these songs the way they are. So if we have to change and simplify drums and make this the standard cookie cutter stuff, then uh, now nah, that's cool. We'll, we're going to take it somewhere else. And he said, all right, let's make a record. And so we, we didn't have to really do a whole lot of cutting and slicing. And Aliens is actually exactly as the three of us wrote that song. I would have guessed that based on the uh, live performances that I saw, because, you know, YouTube has occasional bootlegs that can be located. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Derek, I think, was still playing bass. Was Derek still involved at that point, or had it was it Joey? No, at that point, um, he was uh, he was gone. Um, reluctantly, I mean, I wished he could have been with us. I mean, he was, you know, the original uh, part of the recipe, you know. So, uh, but yeah, he, he wasn't with us at that point anymore. But um, Joey did a very outstanding job of emulating Derek's sound and his nuances of how he delivered, and that was very important, you know, when we were trying out singers. So The first time I became aware of Derek was when Adam Ship became Adam Ship Down. Oh, okay. Because for one split second on MySpace, there was... I I don't even remember what the reason was, but I go to that that particular page, and it was Adam Ship Down. What the hell is this? And it was versions of the songs that I had never heard, and it was a long, drawn-out message about how we were done with major label BS. (laughs) Yeah. Which led me down the path of who is this Derek Pardo guy? Because the first time I heard Adam Ship was probably two days after the Crash of 47 came out. I went to my drum lesson with somebody that I went to high school with who is infinitely better drummer than I will ever be. He gave me two records. He gave me Pulse Ultra and he gave me Adam Ship. And he said, all right, now sit down. We're going to play Dragonfly. Okay. And I said to him, I swear, dude, he doesn't play that verse with two hands on the snare. I think you're doing that nope. wrong. <laughs> and he said, no, no, you got to play it this way. And I'm like, no, no, it's all in the right no, hand. He one says, hand, that's right. Yes! <laughs> and I've noticed, too, like in the, the, I've seen a video where somebody is playing it. And, uh, and I mean, it's awesome that people, you know, try to emulate it. Um, but, uh, you know, the small things are what makes the song or makes the drumming anyway. Um, you know what it really is and I've never seen anybody actually you know you keep all of the um, the quarter note beats going with a hat while throwing in the double kick you know as it you know uh, expands through the verses and um, yeah the one hand on the snare drum I mean all those little things add up to hey you know if you're only going to rate it three and a half stars on a five star for difficulty try playing it the right way and it might actually (laughs) increase your your difficulty level you know because all you did was move the ride symbol to the snare didn't you um, well, yeah, I was actually trying to go for like a, just a straight, you know, like a, almost like a marching sound or something, you know. So 16 triplets, one hand, you know, why not? It's just different. <laughs> Here you go doing math with all four of your limbs. Yeah. See previous statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is the common story that I've heard, and I say that because I don't remember where I read it, that the whole reason Derek wasn't involved in the record was just anxiety? Or is that yes. something you... Okay. No, that is absolutely true. Um, you know, when the band formed, I mean, he was 15, maybe, 16. Wow. And yeah, really young. And, um, you know, we had no idea it was going to take off even locally the way it did. Because, you know, like I said, we just thought, you know, let's just write some material for us. Well, um, I think it was our second show we played. Um, what was it? Uh Aaron Gaynor, um, which was AJ Fantastic, one of the local TJs here. He was the drummer for Twelve Stones. Okay. Well, we didn't we didn't realize it, but he was at our show at uh, that we played down in Biloxi, and um, he heard us and was really impressed with it. And like I said, we had just made a splash on the music scene, and uh, we had a homemade demo that we made in a storage unit with one microphone hanging up. And uh, he comes to us. It's like, man, you guys have a CD. I've got to have, 
you know, our management hear this. And of course, at the time, they they were being managed by uh, Kenny Vest, which I mean, he was he is the man. He was director of Triad Broadcasting for the radio stations here. He helped discover Three Doors Down, and you know, he discovered Twelve Stones, got them signed to Wind Up. So of course, we're like, oh my word. I don't know if we want to give you our CD because it's horrible. And he said, no, let, let me just have it. You know, uh, Kenny will read between the lines. And we're like, Kenny? He was like, yeah, Kenny Vest. You know, I want to give it to him and let him hear it. So we're, we just couldn't believe it. Well, like two or three days later, Kenny Vest called us and he said that he wanted to have a meeting with us. And so we went and met and he wanted to manage us. We were blown away. I mean, you know, we, had, we hadn't played even two weekends, three weekends on the Gulf Coast. And now we have the biggest manager yeah. here. He wants us. So then... After that, with Kenny's connections, it was just weeks later, we were playing uh, a show with 12 Stones. And then a few weeks after that, we were playing at um, the House of Blues in New Orleans, which locally, that is the place to play. We were expanding so fast, Derek didn't know what to take of it. And he started to slowly develop this agoraphobia. And uh, as time went on, the bigger our name got, the worse it got, his agoraphobia. It was crazy how the two went hand in hand. It was almost like it just happened too fast for him. And um, uh, by the time, you know, we had been on the coast maybe six months, then the local radio stations every year, they do this battle of the bands thing. Well, you know, we thought for sure, well, we're going to do that. And we're going to smoke everybody around here because, you know, the, I mean, that was the, you know, the uh, buzz in the music community was, you know, there was no band around here that could touch us. And our manager said, no, you're, you guys, you're not doing that. You're not doing some competition. And we were a little upset at first, but then a week later we found out the reason why he didn't want us to do it was because, um, the winners of the Battle of the Bands got to open for us at a big show that Triad was, you know, putting on. So, I mean, that was the prize. And there was like, you know, tons of folks, you know, wanted to do it. And then at that point, Derek realized, wow, you know, we're really like popular. And the labels started talking to us. And then he just kind of, he couldn't take it all. And when we went to uh, fly to New York City, he made it to the tunnel to get on the plane and he locked up. And it was deer caught in the headlights and they held the plane for like 20 minutes and he he just couldn't do it couldn't do it and then after that he was pretty much um a prisoner in his own home for years and years and but then he eventually got over it now he runs his own business and actually two businesses and uh he's you know pretty much licked that problem that he had he's still making music isn't he um I think it's been a little while since he made any. Um, he and I were working on the Watership Down project, uh, but then when the Atom Ship thing formed, um, he he wasn't very happy about it, and he pulled the plug on Watership Down. I was surprised the first time I heard "Come Back" because I know oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know you were doing it independent, but I was still surprised to hear that. Well, obviously the the vocals were auto tuned, but I gave it two or three minutes, and I said, "Okay, I think I understand what he's going for." Yeah, that was, the auto-tune was like an experiment. He hadn't done anything like that, and we were just trying to do something a little different, you know, and um, and that song actually had a lot of relevance to me because um, I had just found myself separated from my ex-wife, and uh, that was definitely an outlet. You know, it uh, was really meant something. I hadn't played, uh, I think, like two or three weeks before that song was recorded. I was on a training ride on my bike because I raced mountain bikes, and I got hit by a car. And uh, you can't see it in the video, but I'm actually wearing a TENS unit and everything while I'm playing. And that was oh, the wow. first time I played since I got hit. And Derek was just like, dude, he said, I know you're really hurting from your separation. And now this crash thing, why don't you sit down and jam to some drums? And uh, so we just kind of collaborated on what I'd gone through with her and the feelings I had. And he just, boom, like that. He comes up with these lyrics. You know, the melodies are there, and then I lay the drum tracks down, and there was, you know, it's one of my favoriteest songs that I've done with him as far as the, the ballads go. So this, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but uh, there was a, um, I guess I guess what I wondered whenever I had first discovered that Adam Ship was, like, a thing again, um, I guess my question was, what was the decision for going with Joey versus Derek? Um, like I said, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, because I'm sure there might be some feelings there. But I, you know, 
It was just a curiosity I had. To be fair, this man has been singing Joey Culver's praises about as long as I've been singing Derek Pardo's. I'm a bit. I'm a bigger. I'm obviously I'm a bigger uh, <laughs> Joey fan, but um, well, obviously we share a name, so yeah. But you know, you know, each musician has their own, you know, unique quality, you know, that makes uh, them what they are. And I can just say that um, there's certain aspects. You know, maybe on a performance level that I would give the edge to Joey, but as far as raw songwriting talent, Derek, I mean, he is he is one of the most talented songwriters I've ever worked with, hands down. Sure, and I believe it. I mean, I figure most of what I heard on Crash of 47 was Derek. Everything that you hear on Crash of 47 is Derek's, um, except for Plastic People was really Joey's contribution to the lyrical side of that album. But, you know, I mean, like I said, they're um, both amazing musicians. Um, I've never actually had anybody pull out of me um, that type of drumming, though, as Derek. And, I mean, I've worked with a lot of local musicians. Um, there was a few years where, you know, I was like drummer for hire around here, and I did a lot of... Uh, you know, uh, side projects just to record for local acts, um, Sunday Vale. And um, I had uh, uh, a woman from Colorado liked our album so much that um, she like flew me out and my drums and everything and had me record on this album, Ghost Embrace of hers. I was wow. going to ask you how that came to be, because that was for a long time the only video of Chad Kent I could find on YouTube. You know, I just got this message from... Uh, her on Facebook and uh, she said is this the Chad Kent from Adam ship and I was like yeah that's me and she said well I think your drumming is super amazing and I'm about to make a album and I'd have anything I could do to get you to come out and record on it so I was like um, yeah sure why not and <laughs> let's do it right yeah that's yeah <laughs> I pretty I, I pretty much wrote every song on that album except for one right there on the spot out in Colorado Wow so see previous statement <laughs> yeah no that's that's awesome i mean it's uh it's just one of those things where and it's weird for it was weird for us because we we were kind of out of the loop because we did we decided so like whenever we started this podcast where we were like we're going to talk about a discography of a band like we uh we always were like well what do we do about those bands that we love that only have one record <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, you know how do we handle that and uh, so what we did was we took what we took the Adam Ship record, and then we took another band that was new. So we were like kind of a kind of an older band and a newer band, and put them together in, in one episode. And what was crazy is as soon as we put that thing out, like we published it, everybody was like, "Dude, you guys know Adam Ship is like back, right?" <laughs> and we're like, I, "I had no idea." Yeah, and we're like, "No, no, I had no idea." Yeah. Which is sad because there's a portion of my day that goes about looking at Adam Ship stuff online. Like, oh, look, here's this bootleg of a live performance. Let me just rip that from my iTunes collection. Yeah, so we were we, we were totally floored because, you know, I know that I know that at that time it was hard to kind of keep a good, consistent project together um, because I think that was kind of the last leg of what we would consider to be the. Um, music industry as we know like there's the music industry as we know it today and then there was the way it was back then and yes. back then it was very much still um, very old school in the sense of like okay you can do what you want to do on this record but we need at least two singles or we need you know we we yeah. need we need that song that we can make a video for <laughs> and, yeah and uh, that, that was that was mostly how it was the only song that was written on our album you know that was written specifically as a single um was withered you know that was something we never would have written if it wasn't for the label saying hey look we really kind of need a ballad you know um we all were kind of mumbling and about even doing that song because that's not really who you know we were as a band but um and it's kind of funny because that's the song that the label thought would just take us to new heights when in reality once they released that out um to the you know the djs and stuff um that's when they kind of turned their backs on us if i was a record exec it would have been time for people a hundred percent oh yeah anything other than withered in my opinion yeah well time for people was one of those like everybody was really into bands that had kind of fucked up lyrics and so i think a song like time for people it's got that hook to it Mm -hmm. and um 
you know, it kind of it kind of just kind of like gives you an impression of what you're going to hear on that record. Like if you hadn't heard Crash of 47 before, you get kind of a taste of what you're going to be experiencing lyrically. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that that was huge because like yeah, like you said with Withered, it was kind of like a little out of place. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's funny though. Yeah, like I, I believe that that like the record executives kind of had their kind of had their priorities in, in like. Or, or their tastes or, or whatever their ideas were for what a good hit song was you know um, what they're basing that off of is is previous hit songs that they had years before but the mm-hmm. but the you know the, the the average fan of that type of music doesn't care what was popular a year ago exactly <laughs> you know yeah, fight so, did way better on the rock charts than whether that mean, was Withered's the one that had the video rock. wasn't it mm-hmm uh, yes yeah, and that's also um, originally we were going to do. Uh, the band had a completely different vision of the video for that, and leading right up until about a month before we actually shot the video, everybody at the label was excited about our idea. It was basically going to be a claymation, and at key parts of the musical performance, we'd actually show the band members playing, and like the whole end of the video was going to be just the band playing. But then uh, last minute, then we get this call from the label. Um, from the A&R that ultimately sank the band also. Uh, I won't mention his name, but um, he said, hey, you know, we have this group of folks that um, they've been doing uh, CGI work for like movies and things, but they'd like to get into the music industry. So they're offering to do your video for free. And we're like, well, okay, what is it? And then it basically just turned into, you know, a rehash of, um, you know, like an Evanescence video or something. Sure. All of us, except for, of course, uh, Joey were not happy about you know the way they wanted to do the video, but we had no choice. We had to do it. So right, we just talked to a, uh, a singer from a band, the band Project Eighty Six. We talked to him a couple like a week ago, and then he he was kind of describing a very similar around uh, around the same time experience of it's almost like everybody having their hand in your bucket, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody everybody making your decisions for you versus. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you guys really wanted to do as a band and uh and that's you know that's sad you know it sucks that uh that the good music was kind of limited in such a way that you know they wanted to take what you guys had that you were proud of and make it basically ultimately unpalatable for people that you know really wanted to get into it well that's what happened on the second record was that's um you know we ended up with complete control ended up being given over to this new a and r and he came over from a large label and he didn't like our old style he didn't like Derek's style of writing didn't want heavy music he just wanted to make standard old you know bubblegum rock cookie cutter stuff and first what we would call butt rock now uh exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so then that's when the songwriting got handed over to bob marlette and uh rick beato and they pretty much single-handedly wrote the songs on the album wow yeah, is, that why, it, is that why it never saw the light of day uh well no actually what it was was uh, me and nathan tried to stand up to this decision and you know we let the label know hey you know we specifically had a clause in our uh, contract because we knew this would eventually come up just we didn't think so soon and we were given final say and all creative control of the material and this new A&R said well basically uh, we own you and if you don't want to do what we want you to do we're just going to tear up your contract so and that's what they did they they tanked Adam Ship and then that's what became Paper Cut Massacre and that's why that album sounds completely different than anything Adam Ship. The only song on that album um, that made it on that album that uh, me and Nathan and Derek had hand in writing um, was Left for Dead. I gotcha. And that's why that song sounds so similar. Because I remember hearing that song and thinking, okay, yes. this, I remember like as a fan being like, this might be okay. And then yeah, I heard the rest of the record and I was like, eh, yep. yeah. Amen. Yep. <laughs> right. All, everything else was the productions of Rick Beato and Bob Marlett. Wow. Is there any Watership Down that didn't make the record? Oh my word, yeah. There's probably we had to we had to axe probably ten Watership Down songs that we really liked, and um, all of those were definitely on the other end of being radio friendly. Oh yeah, so more yeah. more extreme almost. Very yeah. There were some really good ones, really weird ones, very unique, um, uh, and you know. It, there was a time when Adam Ship Down reformed, or formed anyway. Um, we were going to try to bring those songs back, 
But then the untimely death of Nathan pretty much ended that chance. What can you tell me about Nathan? Because I feel like Nathan is my biggest guitar influence that I only got one record out of. Mm, I have talked to people that will tell you night and day that everything about them is influenced by Kurt Cobain. And while I'm not saying I wouldn't cite him as a reference, I listen to Nathan. I listen to The Crash of 47. I've heard come back a couple other songs that I'm not sure where they fall in your timeline. You could probably tell me the entire songography of Watership Down through Adam Ship, but every piece of writing I've ever found about Nathan Slade, some of it I think was from you, some of it I think was from Derek, the rest of it I couldn't tell you who said it, but everybody says he was the best guitarist that ever lived. Wow. And they weren't embellishing like, no, yeah. no, it's like it's like Jimi Hendrix level. It's like, no, 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 this guy could play anything with anything. Nathan was, he was a master at allowing the drums to breathe. That's what Derek and I always said. Um, you know, he just loved the ear candy and the, I guess you'd say the whale sounds, you know, and um, but he did. He left a lot of open space for a lot of the more complex drums to breathe. And in the spots where the drums weren't quite so complex, then he was just, you know, tearing into it. And uh, he and I would write a lot of evenings when Derek wasn't able to make the rehearsals. And that's actually how uh, Alien came to pass was uh, there was a night that Derek couldn't make it out. So uh, he and I were like, man, you know, we need to we need to come up with some, you know, crazy math one. And uh, and he and I just worked hand in hand on doing that kind of stuff. Is it true that you wrote Mothra just so you could show off, Chad? No, that is not true. Yes. Um, Mothra is uh, that actually was a five four drum part that I had written. Um, and I never could get a guitar player to really want to work with it. And um or they try to write something on it and it just didn't sound right. So uh, when another evening when Derek couldn't make a rehearsal, um, I kind of even had an idea of the note pattern I wanted in my mind for this. And it was like, and because you notice how hand in hand the guitar rhythm just goes with the drums. And uh, I'm sure it sounded silly at the time in the studio, but I was pretty much sounding out the tones to Nathan, and, you know, and he would match it on the guitar and then there's pretty much Mothra. Although, um, that was just the verses, you know, and like the outro and stuff. But uh, the bridge was all Nathan. You know, that was somewhere. Uh, I just can't really, you know, think of what would go here. But this is the drum part. And he just immediately ripped out, you know, that the, the guitar part. That's always been something that I I say that Adam Ship shines with is none of you f- seem to be trying to take the spotlight. You're always trying to shine up everybody else in the band. Oh yeah, yeah. We, you know, we try to. Yeah, that's what we did. We, we wanted uh, everything to sound very cohesive and work with each other. And it's funny because we always used to say that too. It's like it's almost like um, each one of us is just kind of doing our own thing, but somehow it all meshed together and it just fit. Sorry, I'm listening to Whitfield. <laughs> Oh yes! Oh yeah! <laughs> yeah, the Nut House in Mississippi. I get. Oh, is it a real place? <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. That explains so much about the lyrics. Yes. Uh huh. Oh yeah. If you go into Whitfield, you know you, you got problems. <laughs> That's awesome. We would. We honestly, we would have never made that connection. <laughs> I thought it was really? just a dream that Derek was having. Like, okay, so there's a <laughs> yeah, man right. outside and he's screaming. No, now I think you guys were just driving by There's, and he just wrote everything exactly. down and what he said. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that was one of those tunes that, um, uh, you know, some of the shows that we did, um, some of the smaller tours we did, um, you know, you know, the crowd's just there to see the headliner and, you know, who's Adam Ship, you know, they know who we are. And um, it's funny that anytime we would whip that song out, no matter how dead or not into us the crowd might be, we would throw that song out, and every single time that song would blow up, even a crowd of 150 folks. Next thing you know, they are treating us like we're the headliner, man. Everybody loved that song. Wow. That's awesome. And we never saw that coming, you know. <laughs> now that you guys are back, uh, it sounds generic, but what are the actual plans for the band? Well, originally it was just to, uh, you know, to honor Nathan. We just wanted to do a few shows, you know, um, 
uh, give it back to the fans because you know for years they've been saying when are you coming back out when are you going to write some new material and um, so it really was just you know like uh, we're doing this for Nathan you know here's his brother on the guitar and um, so initially we hadn't had any rock solid plans to keep going with it but then once we did the very first show we're like hey you know what um, you know let's see about uh, writing some some stuff so for a few rehearsals we focused on um, writing a couple of new songs and um, things were coming together pretty well um, so right now there's a chance though that we may have hit a little bump in the road and it may actually draw things out again to where we can get new material out so our our singer may be uh, having to take a little detour as far as his living location so is he moving closer well, we don't know for certain if he's going to have to do it or not, but um, he may be moving a little farther away. So that will complicate matters as far as getting the new material finished. Well, that is the cool thing about 2017, though, versus, you know, yes. 04 is the sense that... Electronic. Well, yeah, and music has music has been t- taken back by the artist, <laughs> you know, in the sense that, like, back in 04, the best you could do is get signed to a label, right? You know, it was like, put out your demos, play as many shows as you can, try to get on with bigger bands and stuff. But, uh, you know, in 2017, it's like, okay, we already have this established fan base, you know, because I'm sure, I'm sure the reaction to the return was probably greater than anticipated. It was, um, you know, like we, we were expecting maybe 250 at that show in Ocean Springs. And I mean, it was almost double that. So. And the crowd response that we got was just outstanding. I mean, it was a really, really fantastic night. Yeah. So I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you have that you you already had you're you're one of the lucky ones, and that you actually have that fan base built in. So mm-hmm. it's one of those, um, you know, you can you can do really what you want at this point because you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, a label coming in and saying, well, you need to do this. You're like, dude, I could I we could release an album on iTunes tomorrow and it'd be worldwide. You know, right? And that's yeah. uh, that, that's one of the one of the biggest benefits to music now that I've found uh, versus versus back then. Because I mean, I remember being being in bands and submitting demos and trying to like suck up to these people that I knew that eventually I would not have a good relationship with. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, you know, so uh, then that, that that was the coolest thing whenever um whenever I found out that that Adam Ship was back because I was like, dude, that. This is the time where I almost feel like you guys could go further than than before that you were held back and um, mm-hmm. you know obviously you know no pressure uh, <laughs> but uh, but that that was just my initial thought you know and and that um, we we were super excited that it was uh, that it was a, a deal again and that's why we were like we need to we need to get in contact you know. Uh, <laughs> because uh, this is something that was very important to us, and um, you know, just as fans, I mean, I mean, since '04, I mean, it's it's weird, it's weird talking to you now, even in the sense of like, you know, I can remember listening to Crash of '47, you know, shit. I mean, when I was in high school, you know, <laughs> and it'd be one of those, uh, be and, one of those and at big least once a week where, since then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's consistent, and it just goes to show that like. Everything on Wind Up Records wasn't, you know, total shit, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, you know, it was it was definitely it was definitely cool getting to talk to you, and um, we, uh, you know, we definitely have a policy on our show of uh, of an o- we have kind of an open door policy. So if you ever if you ever kicking something around in your head that you want to talk about or something that you've been influenced by or some or a band that you just are really passionate about or something. Hit us up, dude. We'll talk to you for an hour about it at least. Well, that's awesome. Um, I mean, I've, shoot. I mean, I've been influenced by, um, as a drummer, probably like uh, Matt Cameron's one of my big influences, uh, Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. Uh, super awesome drummer. You know, as far as when I was younger, anyway. And then uh, as I got a little bit more mature, um, Danny Carey definitely from tool one of my biggest influences and uh um i know he's a lot more straightforward drummer and uh when i was growing up i was kind of limited as to what music was allowed in my house 
So um, I grew up in a Christian household, so oh, I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert, what was it? Uh, Robert Sweet from Striper. Mm-hmm. Good drummer though. Yeah. Solid, you know. Oh yeah, super. Do you ever do you ever listen to a to a Christian metal band called Tourniquet? No, huh? Check out their drummer. Uh, there's a guy named Ted Kirkpatrick. They played like um. They played like thrash metal, I guess. Um, see, I was I was really into Christian music whenever I was younger because that was all I was allowed to listen to. Yeah, and, me too. Um, so yeah, Tourniquet is you know was um, they were one of the like one of the first Christian like thrash bands, and uh, their drummer though was was a cut above. And I feel I feel a lot of the same way that I feel about Adam Ship in the sense that like the drumming was almost more. I don't want to say it outshined the band. Because I don't feel like that was ever your intent, but like it just was. Um, I mean, shit, man. Like you listen to stuff like Whitfield. Whitfield could have been played so much more simply than it was. But I, I don't know, man. Like it's just it that makes the song that that the uh-huh. drumming is so much more complex, maybe than than even the song warrants. And I and I, I love that as as like an extreme music fan and. Um, but yeah, if you ever if you ever get a chance to check out Tourniquet, definitely check out. Uh, yeah, I've actually got them pulled up on my cell phone. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, their album Psycho Surgery is awesome. Oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> if you like old Metallica, they're uh, they're the thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't? Yeah, I started off as the Christian metal guy. That's what was so funny is uh, is whenever we started doing this podcast, we started talking about Christian metal bands all the time, and people were like, "Wait, what?" You know. And then I was like, "Oh shit, they're they're onto us. Let's uh, let's talk about Slayer let's this talk week, about Slayer you know? <laughs> or something." You know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, so that that was uh, but the that that's the drummer that I that I kind of um, in my mind I kind of compare you to a little bit in the sense that like it's two very different styles, obviously, but. Um, a band that could have just played it straight, you know. The drummer could have just been a Lars Ulrich, you know. <laughs> but oh, right, right. you know, you know, I, that's actually uh, you talking about um, that. Um, the chorus when uh, we wrote that song, I was having a hard time, you know, thinking of something to you know contrast the verses with. And I actually, um, if you if you were to just listen to just the drum part, it's kind of hard to hear with all the other stuff going on, but it's actually a country drum pattern, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it's just, you know, sped up a little bit and, you know, put the heavy music behind it and you'd never know. Now, did you have a background? Did you have a background in extreme heavy music or was that was like the, the, the fast double bass and stuff like the blast beat? Was that like just something that came to you naturally or did you have like a... Uh, no, it just came naturally. Uh, at that at that time of my life, I wasn't really listening to a lot of um, a lot of like metal metal. Um, when I when all that stuff was written was actually um, three years before it even the album came out. Uh, okay. The stuff was written, and then uh, you know Kenny wanted us to just play as a band, and you know kind of you know get our chops built up actually playing live shows so we did that for a year on the gulf coast before we were ready to strike on the deal and then when that all came down with derek mm-hmm. uh, there was a year between when derek uh couldn't go on with us until we found joey and then got the ball rolling with the labels again and so how did you find joey did he just try out or uh... yeah um we'd actually uh, when we decided um that we were you know gonna pick it back up because um, you know, time went by and then Kenny talked to the label and they said that they were still really interested in, you know, uh, doing something with Pencil Fight, but we had to find somebody that could emulate the sound of Derek. They didn't want a totally different sound. Sure. Um, yeah, we just put the word out for tryouts and um, we had tried out just about every known singer on the local Gulf Coast scene and just nobody could really pull off that sound of Derek. And then Joey was like literally our last one to try. And um, at that point, you know, from trying so many people, we really didn't have, you know, high hopes or expectations that we were ever gonna find it. And then we were just blown away. It was a Sunday and uh, we, got a hold of him and just said you know we're hanging out up here at the studio if you want why don't you just stop in and we'll check you out for a minute and i mean he sang for maybe 
two minutes and we called Kenny Vest and we're like, dude, we don't know what you're doing or where you're at. We know it's a Sunday evening, but you need to get your butt down here and you need to listen to this. And then also, um, he was, he pulled it off close enough on Pencil Fight to where uh, originally the song was written in a straight E and he really struggled to try to hit the highest notes of, you know, the chorus pencil itself, the word pencil itself. So when we went to the studio, so the label could actually hear this, uh, we played with, you know, vocal effects until we finally got it so well done with his voice that what the label heard was Joey's voice on the verses and we had the original recordings of Derek on the choruses. Oh, and they wow. could not tell the difference. They thought for sure that it was, you know, Joey did the whole thing. Can That's I get awesome. a copy of that? What's that? <laughs> Can I get a copy of that? <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure somewhere I actually have a copy of that. I've got just about every demo and silly CD that we ever made. Um, laying get ready to it. get a whole bunch of annoying emails from Joe. All right, so my address <laughs> is, <laughs> and I'm not kidding, I'll put it online. <laughs> okay, okay. Fuck. I'll have to dig it out. Hell yeah, man. No, that's awesome. And, you know, it's weird with, with Joey because, like I say, I'm such a huge Joey fan. And, dude, it's weird, too, that I like that because, dude, most of the stuff I listen to is, like, all screamed, mm-hmm. guttural vocal. Uh, right. But I do like – I do have an appreciation for dudes that can actually sing. And mm-hmm. uh, Joey was – to me, quintessential as far as the sound of the band went. And it's weird, too, because whenever I found out later that, like, no, dude, all this shit was already written, you know, mm-hmm. and and Joey uh, kind of came in and, and um, basically just, just owned it, you know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but it's weird because it sounds so natural on the record, and uh, mm-hmm. I even remember commenting to Joe that I actually enjoyed Joey singing more than I enjoyed Maynard from Tool, which is oh, wow. weird. Which I didn't know how to take at the time, and I still kind of don't. Dude, it's not that Maynard's, like, bad. I'm not saying that Maynard's bad and Joey's great, but, like, it just as far as me as a person and my personal preference for what I like to hear from a singer, Joey had it all. And so when I I found out that you guys were actually going to do stuff with Joey again, I was very excited. Even though, I like, I probably would have been totally fine had it been Derek, you know? So it was one of those... It was one of those catch-22 situations where... The only reason I have such a strong affinity for Joey is because that was the record that I had. Certainly, yeah. You know, and yeah, well, uh, I wish that Derek could somehow be a part of this uh, mm-hmm. second go around, but I don't think that's going to happen. I got you. Yeah, hmm. um, are you familiar with Arise and Chaos? No, I've never heard that. Um, I I think that's the name of the band. Um, but yeah, they're killer. It's like uh, taking Lamb of God to the next level. Okay. But we'll, we will become familiar. That's that's what we do on our yeah, show. So out. yeah, it's um, and it's funny how I found them. Um, there was a video on Facebook, and it was promoting um, one of their songs. It wasn't the whole song. It was like a two-minute snippet, and uh, it was actually this crazy metal song played over video footage of different selections of cats <laughs> hilarious <laughs> nice. yeah, the divine that's the name of the song the divine okay so, yeah you'll have to you know watch the you know the actual uh, official music video first and then watch the cat thrash fever the divine by rising chaos and it is absolutely hilarious we'll check it out we'll listen to it, out it sure. right now actually sounds right up okay. my alley so awesome yeah i actually I, I absolutely love that song it's probably my favorite song that they do so, um, am I correct in assuming that if we ever decided to do an episode on Striper, that Chad Kent would be the first person for us to call? We please, yeah. It's a date. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it. All right, so what date are we scheduling that for? I don't know yet. <laughs> it's probably going to be in 2018, but yeah. Okay. That's what's yeah. crazy about this show, dude. Like, we, we literally started in January doing this podcast, and it literally, like, it was literally just, like, three guys talking about music that they liked uh-huh. and then we had a band contact us out of nowhere and want to talk to us and then we just started being like well who else can we get to talk to us you know <laughs> and, uh, and that's that's we we kind of got this weird taste in our mouth for you know talking to people that uh talking to people that we'd listened to in the past and people that we that are that are current and um you know when we we got an email actually from um 
We got an email from a fan of yours after we did the Adam ship because we did, we did the Adam ship episode and we kind of just thought Corey Robertson, right? Yes, yes, yes. Corey. Love that guy. He was yeah. actually he was actually the guitar player in that band Castle Bravo that I was in for a couple of years. Okay, okay. Yeah, he. Funny um, guy. Yeah, he was great, dude. He sends us an email and he's like, "I listened to your Adam Ship episode," and we we're like, "Really?" Because we got a lot of we got a lot of shit for doing that, you know. <laughs> and uh, but it was one of those things where we were, you know, we we always felt like even though we have this like super metal persona or whatever, we were just like, "Dude, I want to introduce people to music that we think is is good and and, and is solid." And um, we always we always wanted to talk about Adam Ship, but we could never find the right. Uh, we could never find the right context. Some guy named Scott Chance, also. Yeah, Scott Chance. Oh, wow. Yeah, he hit us up on Twitter, and so it was. It was crazy the uh, the response that we got to doing that episode. We we couldn't even believe it. And then uh, Corey starts emailing on us, and he's like, he's like, dude, he's like, I I can I could just ask Chad to talk to you guys. <laughs> and we were like, all right, cool, you know, and. Uh, you know, because we get that sometimes all the time, and then we never hear anything back from it. And then, like, literally the next day, we get an email, and it's like, "All right, dude, this so this it's is me, awesome, yeah." Chad Kent, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> so, even though you may, you may not consider yourself to be a celebrity, uh, to two guys that have been listening to your album since '04, you know, it's a big deal. So, you know, we um, that's awesome. We are we are well, I, we are know, honored by your presence. You know. <laughs> oh no, man, I appreciate. It. I'm honored to be on the show. As uh, since you guys like drummers so much, um, and that is for influences too. Like uh, within the last say uh, ten years, uh, I think hands down one of the most incredible progressive drummers has walked the face of the earth and uh, puts to shame most of the drummers that you, the popular ones that you know only folks know by because they're popular. Mm-hmm. Would be Bobby Jarzombek. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but you should check him out. He okay. is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, we'll check him out for sure. And his brother actually played the guitar for Blotted Science, which that's another pretty wickedly crazy cool band. Okay. Cool. Didn't he play with Crush 40? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, he, he could have. The guy, the, the guitar player. he played player with Rob is, Rock, which is the Christian guy, in, the Christian metal fan in me knows that name. Okay. But uh, the guitar, his brother, the guitar player, is, uh, was it... Uh, Rob Jarzombek, amazing guitar player too, absolutely incredible. We will definitely check it out. Um, yeah, see, that's awesome. Like we, uh, one of our, bi- <laughs> it'll give me an excuse to listen to anything other than uh, Dream Theater, which is the next big band we're going to be talking about. Oh wow! <laughs> and, uh, we're talking about with John Drake. Yeah, we're talking about Dream Theater, and I'm not like the biggest fan of like super like up its own butt music. And <laughs> Dream Theater is. <laughs> Dream Theater is definitely the epitome of that, but uh, you know I'm gonna listen to him and give him a fair shake. <laughs> when are awesome. you guys coming back to St. Louis? <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> you, well, you definitely have somewhere to sleep if that's you know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'll, I mean, I got your contact now. The next time I head up that way, I'll definitely get a hold of you. Shit. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that's when we'll maybe that's when we'll do that striper episode. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's awesome. I was surprised when you said I'm thinking about coming to St. Louis. I'm like, why? <laughs> oh no, no. I just uh, oh, I love to drive. Yeah, I've been into cars my whole life. I got a twin turbo Mach One. Nice. Uh, yeah. So you could have got here in no time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. As long as I didn't get picked up for speeding. <laughs> well, our our whole thing was I was like I was like well shit I'm, I'm having this baby in like you know forever and so we were sure that like if we were like yeah dude drive down on this day <laughs> we were gonna uh, yeah. be, we were gonna be like so Dan's in labor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to leave. We actually had to have uh, we had to have somebody else host the podcast that we that day that. Uh, <laughs> That they, uh, you know, that I, I tried to get my girlfriend actually to go with me, uh-huh. and if she would have been able to go, I would have been there. But uh, road trip just wasn't happening that day. It's all good, man. Oh, man, it's all good. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's we we got the future, and uh, we 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 can always go from there. So, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, yeah, and that's something too that uh, you know when we were talking about Alien was. Um, just an interesting piece on that is I actually recorded the end of the song first because um, uh, you know the the crazy breakdown at the end. 
yeah yeah dave and i were like you know let's uh let's just totally blow this album out the water and uh let's have you play that as fast as you can play it and then we'll just match the you know beats per minute and do the rest of the song so sure. uh, it took a few takes for me to get all the hits because that's something that i was absolutely adamant about was um i knew that they were gonna you know run a grid on the album but i told them that i absolutely did not want any added notes or computer assistance on anything everything needed to be there sure. and, you know if, if something had to be bumped here and there or something you know then you know that's fine but i wanted all the notes and um when we were finished recording that song, um, Dave was giving it a listen through, and Josh Freeze was in NRG Studios at the time. And uh, he actually came in, and I'm sitting in the back of the, uh, you know, the uh, control room. You know, I'm just doing my thing, messing around the computer, and then this guy walks in, you know, which people were in and out of there already. And then Dave starts talking to him, and I look up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Josh Freeze. Don't yeah. be one of those yeah. little, you know, fan guys. It's like I'll start something. Oh my word, you know. I wanna. So I just sat there and played it cool. And then they got to the end of the song, and um, you know, Josh just looks over at Dave. He's like, man, it's amazing. He's like, you know, uh, um, you know, that's. You know, you, you pro tooled it right, and Dave said, "Nope." He said, "That is all that guy sitting right back there." And I'm like, oh my "Gosh!" And then Josh came over and he shook my hand, and and he said, "Dude, that's really amazing." And I was all, <laughs> "Right, total yeah. fanboy." Yeah. yeah. So back to my original question: How does it feel to be the greatest fucking drummer in the world? <laughs> <laughs> I wish that were true, but thank you. You know, I appreciate it. I've actually gotten in arguments with people about whether or not your album was quantized or sample replaced. And I've gotten into like deep analysis on the audio. Like, no, no, right here you can see the waveform is not the same as it is over here. There's no possible way. Whatever, man, easy drummer. I'm like, dude, this guy is easy drummer because clearly he's not having too much of a hard time. Uh, well, you know, like I said, we we really strive to make it as live as it could be. And um, they actually, some of the fills that I did, you know, it might have just been the, the engineer was having difficulty with it. But um, when he would try to quantize uh, some of the things, uh, it would completely mess up the drum fills. So we were like, uh -uh, forget it. You know, we're not even going to deal with that because, um, you know, I do a lot of like uh, – uh, 16th triplet patterns on top of straight 16ths or 30 seconds and for some reason like I said I mean I'm not into the pro tools and quantizing and things but um, just a lot of those off bills or syncopated stuff it just completely tore them up so we're like uh -uh, not doing it just leave it live leave the live sound and you know tweak the sound however you have to but we weren't able to um, you know computerize it I guess you'd say well we as the fans can hear it and we appreciate it well, that's awesome, and I'm glad that you appreciate it because you're the guys that I'm playing to, you know? For sure. <laughs> we've been around the block a few times, and we've been lied to a lot, you know? <laughs> and, oh, right, you right. Know, you yeah. hear in, like, especially listening to, like, extreme metal like I do most of the time. Dude, so much of that stuff is fake. And it just oh, yes. it just blows my mind. And that and that that was part of my assholeish nature of, like, wanting to show, like, stuff like Mothra to people where I'm like, dude, this isn't even, like... This isn't even death metal, but in comparison to what you guys are doing, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it just it just blows it out of the water. And this is all done. This is all done live, mm -hmm. you know. And that, uh, you know, that always just kind of makes people think, like, oh, maybe we should, you know. <laughs> all right. Maybe, maybe we should try to do it for real, you know. Yeah, the, um, I still remember a show I did in, uh, I think it was Tampa, Florida. Um, I was starting to get sick when I was on tour, so I wasn't really as accurate as I normally would be. And the cymbal muffle part in that breakdown in Mothra, where I'm grabbing the cymbals, doing the double bass, um, I sliced open my thumb so bad. Oh, man. It sprayed blood all over my drum heads, and I still have those drum heads out in my studio with brown stained blood. Nice. Because <laughs> you, you do those catches with one hand, right? Oh yeah, so you know you um, the same hand that you're striking the symbol with, you're grabbing it. You know, I've never been good at it, but it, it I've tried to do it with both hands, and it's just not possible. My spine no, uh, will not twist. Uh, yeah, yeah, too much going on. And actually, I, I wish I had the recording I could send you. Of there was a song that I did with Castle Bravo, and the time between each symbol grab is less than half of the time in that in uh, Mothra, way way faster, and double bass on top of it. Just keep telling us how awesome you are, Chad. I already know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're just giving you trouble man <laughs> yeah yeah it's okay totally man. yeah i know um 
Well, we actually uh, we need to finish up that Sepultura record or Absolutely. episode we're doing. But, uh, dude, we really appreciate you taking the time out. This is something we've definitely wanted to happen for a while. And, um, Hell yeah. This is not the last you'll hear from us, you know. And, Man, awesome. Uh, I'd love to, you know, chat with you guys anytime you want. Yeah, for sure. And if you guys are on tour and are just sitting, you know, in a green room somewhere and want to say, hey, let's call those guys and just Dan can talk to Joey for five minutes. Do that. Well, hey, you know, I mean, I could, uh, you know, I could get Roy and Jared, you know, out here and we could talk with you guys for a little bit. Be cool. Hell yeah. So, Down with that. Awesome. Sweet. Awesome. And thank you again for having me on the show. Yeah, for sure, man. This has been a special presentation of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out, and it lets us know you're listening. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything discography discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Google Play. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on TuneIn Radio. So if you have an Amazon Echo product, you can say to it, Alexa, play the latest episode of Discography Discussion, and she will. One million thank yous go out to Chad Kent. It's been a dream and privilege to meet you, and we'll talk to you soon. Do one more because it broke up in the middle. Uh, Okay. As he points the mic at his drum kit. That's beautiful, man. Yep. This is Chad Kent. From discography from Adam Sh- oh man. This is Chad Kent <laughs> Adam Ship on discography discussion. I need to go change my pants. That's perfect. Yeah, that's 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 no, amazing. That was horrible. That no, was terrible. No, no, no. no what, it's did fine. I say it right? I'll take it. Perfect. <laughs> We're still gonna throw that in there. He's gonna do it again. He's gonna do it again. Don't you love recording full set of drums over a webcam? That's awesome, dude. I'm sure my neighbors just hate my guts right now.